What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders, and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Tryon Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Au contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. It is Wednesday, November 8th. It's Oscar season, of course. This is a season unlike any other I've ever seen. The actor's strike, which is still going on as of this taping, probably ending soon, but still happening. It's upended the usual cadence of award season. Usually around this time, L.A. would be packed with events and premieres, silly cocktail parties and special screenings, stunts to get attention, actors shaking hands and delving into their process for anyone who will listen. It's a time when people like Kihai Kwan or Eddie Redmayne or Lupita Nyong'o go from who's that to, oh, that person again, all in the service of winning over awards voters en route to an Oscar. Award season is a huge business, of course, all the events and award shows and campaigning. Even being in the conversation can really boost an actor's career, to say nothing of a nomination or a win. And it's all been pretty disrupted this year. But how much does the silence on the campaign trail actually matter? Some big awards movies have kind of come and gone without the promotion they probably needed. Others have been given a little boost because the competition has been unable to really compete. That's what we're talking about today. We've got Kyle Buchanan from the New York Times in here. He covers the awards race and is a guy I see a lot when I'm at these events. We're going to get into the winners, losers, whether it's all salvageable once the strike finally ends. So today is the strike impact on awards season. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Kyle Buchanan, who is a reporter for The New York Times, and he writes the projectionist column about the awards race, which is very important. I know there's a lot of important things going on in the world and in the industry right now. But today we're talking about the Oscar race and I'm very happy to have Kyle here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Normally this time of year, it's parties, events, actors everywhere. Last year, I felt like Michelle Yeoh was living in my house. I feel like this year without the actors, with the strike stuff preventing promotion of any kind, it really has impacted the awards race. What's your take following this stuff so closely? I think we're entering an interesting little era as the strike is presumed to be coming to a close. It's the era of the workaround. Right. Yesterday, I got this email from Variety that made me laugh. They're throwing their annual Power of Women gala. And the five honorees are Fantasia Barino, Billie Eilish, Carrie Mulligan, Lily Gladstone, and Margot Robbie for her production company. And wouldn't you know, I mean, I just named five women who are major contenders in the awards race all of whom hail from 
major studio movies that some of them, most of them, can't promote. Right. So it's funny that the press release for this event took great pains to promote, to say that actually it's not these movies that they're promoting. <laughs> Fantasia, Billy, Carrie, and Lily are all there to tout a charitable cause. Oh, good so, for them. Good for yeah. them. Oh, they, yeah. Know. I mean, that is ridiculous. Like Timothy Chalamet hosting SNL, not for Wonka. I mean, that's not really an awards movie, but not for Wonka. He's doing it to promote his fashion line. He did a GQ cover to promote his fashion line. No matter that Warner Brothers is probably going to buy advertising to promote Wonka during SNL, but he's not going to talk about it unless the strike ends. I mean, it's it's sort of ridiculous. I, I've been making fun of Bradley Cooper showing up to the New York Film Festival in the audience of the premiere of his movie because he you know, doesn't want to be up on stage promoting Netflix. But of course, in all the coverage, it was that Bradley Cooper showed up to his own movie and it reminds everybody. I mean, this for people who don't know, this is a season where getting to the top of mind in awards voters is primary. That's all you want during the phase one of the campaign. You want people to see your damn movie and you do anything you can do to get to the top of their mind, get them to click on the tile on the Academy portal, get them to pop in the DVD if they're still watching on DVDs. So any measure of promotion in the context of your awards movie is good in this context. And when you can't be out there shaking hands and going to events and receiving fake awards at film festivals, then you try to do anything you can and getting an award to promote your charity is a good strategy. Yeah, and look, we're being cynical about it because there's a lot to be cynical about when oh, it comes please, to awards season. Yes, I mean, I, uh, I don't even think that's cynicism. I think that's realism. Realism, it's pragmatism. But you know, Matt, people get a giant career bump from going out and being seen at these events. You know, I'm thinking about people like Coleman Domingo and Rustin or, or Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction who have kind of been around waiting their whole careers to have this leading man moment that they're not technically allowed to exult in right now, yeah. you know? And, and then there's people like Fantasia or even like Charles Melton, who's this up-and-coming actor who's so good right. in May-December. Fantasia's in Color Purple. Yeah. And Charles, you know, Charles what is, what's the movie Charles Melton is in? He's, he's in May-December. He's the male lead opposite Natalie Portman and Julianne right. Moore. And this guy comes in and blows you away. And he would be getting tons of articles and photo shoots and invitations as the new hot young actor if it weren't for the fact that his movie's on Netflix, so he can't promote it yet, right. you know? He can't go to these ballrooms and, and be with Todd Haynes and, and meet all these people. And Netflix bought that movie at Cannes specifically because they thought they could run acting awards campaigns and get these people nominations. And now they are stuck, not stuck with, they've got this movie that they're having a premiere next week at the Academy Museum. And I was looking at the invite, and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Oh, wait. Natalie Portman won't be there. Julianne Moore won't be there. The other stars won't be there. It's just sort of like depressing. These you know, people are going through the motions and then maybe after the movie, there'll be a Q&A with the cinematographer or someone. Yeah, this season, more than any other season before it, directors are the new movie stars. You know, they'll be going hard on Todd Haynes to whatever extent that, you know, puts people in. Well, not puts people in seats since it's Netflix, but at least gets them to click. The big uh, thumbnail image of, Julianne Moore or Natalie Portman is what's ultimately going to motivate that click. But you need movie stars to some degree, at least to fill these ballrooms out for award shows and events, you know? And I think the voters care, too. 
The voters of are course. people just, you know, they're, you know, they're insiders. But like if you get the invite for a screening and Emma Stone's going to be there to talk about poor things like you're more likely to show up. And that's what they're counting on to get people to see these movies. You know, I went to the, the poor things L.A. screening and it was, you know, Yorgos lot the most. The director was great and he was fun. It's not Emma Stone. Exactly. I mean, you know, look. They're on average a little bit better than they might be because a lot of the directors this year are big names. You have a Greta Gerwig who people do want to come meet. That's true. But she's also an actor. She's a celebrity. Oh, yeah. But she's only there in her producer. Oh, right. right. No, I know. That would at least make sense. So she's not in the movie. Yeah. So it is a tricky thing. And then also, how do you plan something like the Gotham Awards, which are in a few weeks? You know, I think there's probably a lot of sort of handshake deals and wink wink nudge nudges to try to get people not just in that ballroom as as actors but to even present these awards you know to have those red carpet moments you need those to keep that award system ecosystem going totally don't get me started on the gothams i mean what a joke they dropped the budget requirement for the gotham awards this is like supposed to be this honor for indie films and they go way early and they try to like set the scene for the season and it's usually these small, you know, a lot of them are New York-based indie films. This year, they dropped the requirement for budgets for some reason. And, like, Ryan Gosling got a nomination for Barbie. I'm like, oh, great, you know, champion of indie film, the Gothams, you know, honoring the $1.5 billion grossing Barbie. Yeah, and probably the one contender who really didn't need it. But, you know, again, there's a little bit of that cynicism that permeates every award show because you want people, you want Ryan Gosling on that carpet, right? You want that photo moment with Ryan Gosling. But it is probably good for the movies that already have those interim agreements. Something like Past Lives is poised to clean up at the Gothams, even if they don't win the awards, because they'll actually be able to send cast members there because it's an A24 movie. You're going to have Jacob Elordi, who's already seemingly everywhere. He's going to be everywhere part two because they can book him this far out. He can go to every single award show, every single you know, opening of an envelope. Even today, you know, they just announced Patrick Dempsey is sexiest man alive for people. I know. How did that happen? It helps that Ferrari has an interim agreement so that he can actually promote the thing that sexiest man alive is usually designed around. I forgot he's in Ferrari. It's not even an awards movie, but but that's a separate topic. Let's get to the winners and losers of this situation because you just mentioned one of the winners. All of these movies with interim agreements that means the A24 movies, the Neon movie. Uh, what is Neon's big movie? Fer- Ferrari. They have another. They have the the, the Can movie. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall. Anatomy of a Fall. That could also benefit here. I also think the other movies that benefit from the lack of star promotion are these big movies that came out earlier this year, namely Barbie and Oppenheimer. Every voter knows what those movies are, probably has already seen them, probably has an opinion of them. And yes, it would be nice if Robert Downey Jr. and Killian Murphy, Matt Damon, and all of them were out on the circuit trying to charm people into voting for them in the actor categories. But that movie is an across-the-board contender, regardless of what's going on on the scene right now. And same with Barbie, I think. Barbie is an all-audience or an all-category contender, especially for Picture and for Ryan Gosling. So I feel like they are actually stealthily winning this lack of promotion. You're not wrong. Look, any movie that felt like it already had a complete moment is ahead of the game. So obviously, Barbie and Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, to some extent, at least they got that can peek out 
at least they had that viral moment of Lily Gladstone getting her standing ovation. That's something people remember, even if she's not able to do press for it. Past right. lives, it helped that they at least got something back then, but they're able to do you know plenty now in their phase two. So yeah, it hurts movies like Nyad, which just came out on Netflix, right. but doesn't have those big profiles that are talking about how much Annette Bening had to train to do that movie, you know? Right, or Jodie Foster. They have yeah. big stars and it, the movie sort of came and went and now it's like dumped on Netflix and maybe it'll get traction, maybe not. But I agree with you. Another one was The Holdovers, the Alexander Payne movie that I don't know that the box office was necessarily hurt by not having Paul Giamatti and Divine Joy Randolph out there promoting. I mean, they're not huge stars, but not getting them in front of the awards audience, I think does hurt that movie. And, you know, they would really, they would benefit from having them on the circuit. I agree with you. Although I do think that if there's any movie that's kind of poised to pull a coda, which is to steal, you know, all the attention away from the big behemoths like, Oppenheimer, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, and give you something smaller, cozy, intimate. It could be the holdovers, and it could benefit from the exact same thing that happened to Coda, which is that nobody really saw it when it originally came out. (laughs) And then later on in the season, when they were like, well, let's just check out what we haven't seen on this Academy portal, they watched it and felt the emotion there that maybe had been lacking from some of the bigger contenders. Things like Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer. These are very different things that you feel watching these movies. What is the most powerful feeling? And what is the movie, what's the narrative about the movie that can create the most compelling emotional reason to cast your vote? It's it's about the emotion of the thing. I mean, last year even, Michelle Yeoh was guaranteed to give the more emotional speech over Kate Blanchett, who had kind of just been you know, breezing through whatever speeches she'd made prior to that. Michelle yeah. Yeoh cried every time she accepted one of those awards. It was a capital M moment. You're voting for moments. You're voting for emotions. Yes, obviously, you're also voting for the quality of the thing to some extent. But you want to feel like you're creating a moment. And I think that the ultimate winners will have done the best job at creating whatever moment they were able to, given this huge ellipsis that happened in the middle of award season. And that's what I want to get at, because you're absolutely correct that these actors play a key role in determining the narrative of the season. And, you know, forget Michelle Yeoh. I want to talk about Jamie Lee Curtis last year, because I think in retrospect, that is a fine performance. She was very fun. But that is someone who absolutely created her own narrative in all of the appearances. She literally went to everything. She was posting nonstop on her Instagram. She was enthusiastic. She presented herself in exactly the right way to these voters as being, you know, owning the whole Nepo baby thing. You know, yes, I am a child of Hollywood and sort of turning it in her favor as, yes, I'm a child of Hollywood. Vote for me as the legacy of this great business that we all love. And she won and she gave a great speech. And I think that, you know, This year's version of that is probably Robert Downey Jr. Do you agree from Oppenheimer? Literally, as you were describing that, ding, ding, ding. Yes, I think that also he fulfills a similar role, which is there is a lead, uh, Killian Murphy, who is terrific in the movie, obviously, has been around for a long time. But it is Robert Downey Jr., who is Hollywood royalty, essentially, who's been around, who is our portal into this, who ultimately, when we have those casts together, 
he's going to be the one who can deliver it with the most Hollywood aplomb. You know, oh, so he's, he's going to be the entry in. Yeah. So, and I mean, Chris Nolan, for all the things that he is, is not a charmer. So you're going to have. <laughs> oh, how dare uh, Downey you? Downey Jr. The, the rye British wit, the, the, the <laughs> deadpan. It's very rye. And <laughs> the, the pan is very dead. Um, no, obviously a very talented guy, but it's Downey Jr. who has yeah. the charm offensive that this film kind of needs. It's up yeah. against the most charming movie of the year, Barbie. So you're going to have to rely on a little bit more than just sort of the intellectualism of the film. You want someone who can make you feel it or make you feel anything. And you know that Downey Jr. in 10 seconds on a stage can. Yeah. Forget the dance off. It's going to be a charm off between Gosling and Downey Jr. for that supporting actor Oscar. Yes. I'm super curious to see how that one turns out. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. It is only November, and it is the time where these campaigns really ramp up. We're going to start to see the nominations drop. Globes, I believe, are next. And we'll start to see, you know, the stunt awards. You know, once the strike ends, there will be, you know, Palm Springs Film Awards honorees and Santa Barbara Film Awards honorees and all these fake awards that get people a spotlight on them for people to see them and watch their movie. Do you think this could all course correct? The strike ends, you know, in the next week or so. This could just course correct. And by December, we'll be talking about this as a normal season. Or has damage already been done? Damage has already been done, but it's long. This season is long, and there aren't obvious frontrunners. So there's a lot of time for there to be narratives, counter-narratives, momentum waxing, momentum waning. I mean, I'm super curious. I don't think that there are strong frontrunners in any of the major categories. You know, we might end up with one of these films just becoming the de facto sweeper, but we don't know it yet because nothing's happening. It's kind of fun to play these narratives out in your head, but, you know, I kind of want to get out there and, and see these films actually test their mettle. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if there is a front runner, it's probably Oppenheimer, just because of the phenomenon nature of the movie and the fact that a three hour mostly talky 
period piece grossed $900 million. Like that's a great narrative for the year. But I feel like Barbie is in that Top Gun Maverick slot where there is a best picture nomination now for the movie that is better than you thought it was going to be and grossed a shit ton of money. Yeah. And I, I wonder with Oppenheimer, you know, they have never been hesitant to give Chris Nolan nominations. They've always been hesitant to actually give him the Oscar. Is this the moment where it's so undeniable that he gets it? Or does it turn into a power of the dog? Oh, God. We don't talk about that movie. Well, you know, I mean, at least at least Jane Campion won director. And I think that Nolan has, you know, a very strong shot at taking that. Yeah. But do they give him that? And then they go elsewhere in other categories. Right. I don't know. I mean, look, in any other year, Oppenheimer would have the profile of a sweeper. But this is a crazy year with a lot of very interesting other movies that have a compelling case. And again, an awards campaign where it will be forever asterisked because nobody knows what the hell's going on and nobody can plan for it. I mean, even with me, when the Writers Guild strike was resolved, I had a lot of publicists for actors kind of calling me wink, wink, nudge, nudge, saying, hypothetically, if this movie star is available on November 12th for a profile that could hypothetically run in December, would you be into it? And I'm like, hypothetically, of course. Yeah. And then, you know, it, became apparent that the actor strike was actually not going to get resolved anytime soon. So a lot of these best laid plans were upended another time. And I, we'll I just, just have them talk about their philanthropy. Had. There you, know, you kid, go. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't have to be about the movie. <laughs> Let's just talk about charity, but also get some really great glamour shots. in. Yeah. The guy who's probably most frustrated this season is Bradley Cooper, right? <laughs> Well, yes and no. I mean, I thought I, t I thought to myself... He's got Maestro, the Leonard Bernstein movie that right. premiered at Venice. He did not attend Venice, although suspicious vacation photos of him in the area did appear prior to the Venice Film Festival. Well, he did go to Venice, but only to check on the levels of the movie. Oh, he did. Oh, he, he appeared. Right. And, and there were photos of him in the neighborhood, but he did show up at the New York Film Festival premiere, but only in the audience. He did not promote, which apparently was okayed by SAG. And now, you know, they pushed the movie premiere all the way into late December. A lot of these movies have pushed into December because of this reason, because they hope the strike will be resolved and their talent will be able to promote. But, you know, he's got a lot riding on this film. It's first movie after Star is Born. It is very auteurish. He wears the big nose. He's the writer producer, star, director of this movie. And he's kind of had to sit it out. But I wonder if this isn't a don't you know what you got till it's gone moment for Bradley Cooper, because this is someone who hates doing press, hates it. Even when A Star is Born was doing so well, he was visibly uncomfortable attending every event. The profile sometimes just did not work right. They were not clicking. You know, so when this season began, I thought he's kind of getting exactly what he wants. He gets to send the movie off at Venice and get the prestige of the thing and do absolutely no press. I don't know. I think he needs to sell this. Well, he well, look, he needs to sell it because this isn't a mainstream film. It'll get viewed by the mainstream on account of being on Netflix. But it's a, it's a film that takes chances. That's artistic. You know, won't be the easiest sell. It'll be interesting to see if Cooper takes up the slack because, you know, with again, with Star is Born, he delivered a phenomenal performance for my money, way better than Rami Malek, who won that year. 
he himself wasn't giving that performance its due because he was more concerned with how he would be perceived as a director. And then for all that, didn't even end up getting nominated by the Academy for his directing. I wonder if this year he won't be a little more inclined to support his actual performance. Maybe. Although, you know, I think first and foremost for him is to establish himself as an A-list director. And, you know, as we know, it's the follow-up to the hit that often matters. And if this can be an all-category awards movie, that I think sets him up for pretty much whatever he wants to do, right? Yeah, I mean, the irony is he can't promote it as a director and leave (laughs) out the performance because it's just a little bit too thin of a line to walk. Because otherwise, I think he'd love it. If it was somebody else in the movie and he could just go out and only talk about directing, I think that's his dream. But that's impossible in a movie like that. I mean, they were making exceptions for people who had like a cameo in their movie. But with this movie, he's in so much of it. It's not really possible. What's going to happen when the strike ends? Is it just going to be the the floodgates open? Or for a lot of these stars, is it like, is it going to be a slow roll? Are they going to all suddenly move to L.A. for the season? Is Killian Murphy going to be at Norm's on La Cienega just greeting people? Then they come in. Well, the fortunate thing is, if there was anything that was going to take people away from the months-long commitment that is the award season gauntlet, it's usually because they're in production on something. Mm-hmm. But this strike is getting resolved so late that there's a lot of productions that simply won't resume until right. later. So there's yep. plenty of time. Honestly, they could totally camp out in L.A. and in New York and do the whole shebang. And I think that's what we're going to see. And I think that anyone who had a movie come out recently and wasn't really able to give it their full promotional push is going to be more than eager to do that. So it's going to be a total deluge. I mean, the awards ecosystem will be propped up again, you know, because there are a lot of events, even some of the more shammy ones you described, you know, they still employ a lot of people. There's cater waiters, there's photographers, there's stylists, there's all sorts of things. So I think we're going to see at least that floodgate open up. And certainly from my perspective, I'm just bracing myself for uh, deadlines on top of deadlines as actors are finally available and eager to get those articles out quickly. Yeah, I mean, we're going to basically have four months of awards campaigns jammed into December and early January, right? Yeah, and, and <laughs> January is crowded already. You had the Emmys and the Governor's Awards move right. to January. Who knows if the Golden Globes will actually happen? I mean, they'll happen. Who knows if anyone will watch them? Or- well, who whoever knows anything when it comes to the Golden Globes. Yeah. All I know is it's going to be a shit show. I'm not just talking about the Globes specifically, but you can guess. It's going to be a shit show all month. It could be a shit show of a season. It'll be a glamorous shit show, but a shit show all the same. Honestly, I love it. Anything different, anything that shakes it up, anything that puts people on edge a little bit and makes it more interesting. I'm all for it. So, all right. Thanks very much, Kyle. Appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. All right. We're back with the call sheet. Craig, it's here. The Marvels. Going to this movie? You know my long-standing thoughts. I know. On you were early on this. Honestly, you got the superhero fatigue. I think one of our first shows we did like a year and a half ago, you were shitting all over superhero <laughs> overload. And here we are. Not that many people excited about the Marvels. I felt it. I, you, you could feel that the, the casual fan was losing interest in the superhero universe. And I think it's cresting right now. Well, the reviews are okay. And, you know, the marketing push has really stepped up a notch because I think 
Disney is hitting the oh shit button. They, did you see this latest trailer, the last trailer? They're, like the first 20 seconds of it are people who are not in the movie. It's like Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Chris Evans, what? like flashes from Endgame, and then they go into this movie. They're, they're just like, clearly the market research is telling them people don't like the post-Avengers movies, so they're just showing the Avengers. Also, I saw that in their in their newest trailer, they they included Tessa Thompson in it, which was originally supposed to be a surprise, but clearly an attempt to drive people to go see this movie because they have a relationship with Tessa Thompson from Thor. Oh, interesting. You know, DC did that. Didn't The Rock, remember The Rock said that Henry Cavill was in Black Adam as Superman to try to get people interested, even though they ended up scrapping that after the movie came out? Um, that's another sign of just desperation. They're also urging people to watch WandaVision and Miss Marvel to essentially do homework so you understand what's going on in this movie. The tracking is really interesting because typically the Marvel tracking will spike or go up as the release date comes. The tracking on this movie actually has gone down. It was at like 75, which is not great about two weeks ago, considering Captain Marvel opened to over 150 million in 2019. And it's actually come down. It's, it's a little difficult for me to set the line because some tracking services have it at 65, some have it at 60, one has it at 50. So I think we'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and let's put it at like 62 for the okay. weekend, which is a pretty big disaster for a I mean, 250 that's Flash million. territory, right? Flash did better than that. I think Flash opened at 70 million. Check me on that. It may, it's either 55 or 70, but this movie costs $250 million. It is Flash open to 55. Okay. So it'll probably beat Flash, but honestly, at 62, I'm going to take the under. I think that's right. I mean, look, I know where you are on this. <laughs> the first one came out in between, I believe, Infinity War and Endgame. And it, it was teased at the end of Infinity War, if I'm not yes. mistaken. And and this just has none of that. There's no juice. There's no there's no machine anymore that is driving people to, that you need to see this next movie. So it, it just feels like it's out on its own now. Yeah. And the international numbers are worse for tracking. We'll see if they can salvage this. They're definitely pouring money into the campaign. But when you are relying on the Avengers to sell this movie, that's a bad sign. That means that is the Disney marketing equivalent of the oh shit button. It's DEFCON 1, I think, right now for Marvel. <laughs> oh, God, feel bad. But you know what? And even if it beats the tracking, I mean, this is still a disaster. Even the high end of the tracking. If this movie opens to 70, that is terrible for what it is and what Marvel is now. You know, maybe it'll have some legs. There's not a lot of competition, although apparently the Hunger Games prequel is not terrible. I'm a little nervous because Lucas, uh, I gave Lucas that one in our draft. But this has a couple weeks to play and maybe it'll play through the holidays. Don't know. The marketing also was not helped because they obviously the actors couldn't promote it, but Marvel's got some problems. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Kyle Buchanan. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We'll see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.